Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey there, kinky kids and Shakespearean spankos. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. What's up, everyone? How you doing? Welcome to the show. Um, my throat feels scratchy because that's what happens when you drink a bottle of wine by yourself the night before. Um, hello. If you are new to this podcast, maybe you're a fan of our special guest. Uh, typically, I talk to women I've hooked up with about sex, dating, sexuality, gender, love. But this week's guest is not one of my uh, past sexual partners. No, this week, super excited to finally release this thing. Uh, I've been sitting on it for months. Author, world traveler, spanking fetishist, Jillian Keenan is on the podcast this week. Oh, what a joy. Uh, she is the author of that book, Sex with Shakespeare. I've been, I was how that book I was hounding y'all about all of last year. It's my favorite book of 2016, and I'm just thrilled to tell you more about Jillian in a bit. But first, no show dates uh, to promote right now. Just go to manhorpod.com for all your manhorp podcast needs. Uh, go poke around the site sometime. I don't think a lot of you have. You can sign up for the mailing list on the right hand side of the website, and that's important to do for two reasons. One, lets me know where y'all are. Okay, that's important for me. You know, when you put in your zip code, that lets me keep track of like where a cluster of fan whores are at. You know, if for some reason I've got like a thousand people in Iowa, then I know I got to go do something in Iowa. Let's go do, let's go book a comedy show, maybe a live podcast or something, you know? The second reason is I put out a uh, monthly newsletter, uh, updates about my life and the podcast, uh, some stuff that doesn't make it onto the show. We also do giveaways right? Giveaways that maybe you don't even know about because you weren't on the mailing list. I'm doing one for uh, February, but you're not going to know about it unless you're on the mailing list. But the other thing is at the end of each newsletter, I, I like to put a little piece at the end, a little bit of, I fancy myself a writer. No big deal. I won a $50 prize in eighth grade for creative writing. Uh, Although I think part of that was that uh, I got bullied so much that the teachers got together and for the eighth grade graduation, they're like, we got to give Billy some kind of award because he didn't shoot up the school and we got to reward him for that. We got we got to let the kid think he's got some kind of worth. So here's uh, the Nicole Janikowski writing award. $50, I think I spent it on comic books, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I like to write these things. They're not necessarily funny. Uh, the, these pieces at the end, but they're only on the mailing list. I don't even do that as this like huge enticement. It's just, it's, it kind of just naturally, it's just started happening. I just started writing these things at the end and I don't post them anywhere else. And I want to read one to you. It's about Paige and myself. It's from several months ago. So the strife that you hear in it is not nearly as big a problem uh, as it was back then. Uh, if you only want slutty or funny stuff, you should fast forward a couple of minutes. Otherwise, uh, this piece is titled The Specter of Someone Else. Match.com is running an advertising campaign where a diverse array of actors tell friends and family, I met someone. The commercials use that phrase as one of the most hopeful, happiest three-word declarations. But I met someone are the three scariest words you could hear from a significant other. 
poly, monogamous, or open, there's at least the briefest uncertainty of what those words will mean for you. How does your boyfriend, wife, or lover say them? A solemn admittance may mean destruction of the beautiful union you've nurtured together. It could indicate a shameful guilt of their infidelity. Everything you thought was secure about your relationship may find itself drifting away as you grasp for something to hold on to, something to keep you steady, to keep you tethered to this person you love. I met someone is not always said in such dire tones. A gleeful squeal can create compersion, sharing in the excitement that they feel. I met someone can be the start of a hilarious bad date story while you take silent comfort in knowing they came back to you to share the folly. Paige tells me there's a power imbalance in our relationship because she thinks she has stronger feelings for me than I do for her. She is worried I will meet someone else and leave her. Being in an open relationship, I meet a lot of else's. Not one has threatened our relationship, and I doubt one ever will. Nevertheless, the fear of those three words are a strain on the relationship. Of course, uh, meeting someone new can drain your most limited dating resource, time. I can't imagine having multiple girlfriends and lovers and anonymous Craigslist gangbangs. I I allow myself three planned nights per week maximum. Otherwise, I run the risk of neglecting comedy. My ride-or-die bottom bitch. With two girlfriends, I feel like I'd become monogamous to them out of necessity. One resource that won't run out is my love, care, and affection. Okay, that's three resources. Whatever. Look, this isn't very funny, and I realize only now as I pause to think how scary it must be to hear, I met someone without a sense of security. If the contract at your job is running out and they bring in someone new for you to train, it does not mean they plan to fire you. It could. But without the security of a contract renewal, you are left in a state of not knowing. And not knowing is fucking terrifying. No wonder Paige can't handle hearing an otherwise happy message. I know what I need to do. So, yeah, um, for to see more stuff like that, head on over to manwhorepod.com, sign up for the mailing list, and if you were hoping for something funny or sensual, I'm sorry. Not sorry. It seems like people enjoyed last week's episode with Claire. That's cool. Uh, I got... Uh, a consistent piece of feedback, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, it was about the th- uh, the whole theory of m- which type of musician is really good at cunnilingus or sex in general. There was this thing. Uh, there was a thing mentioned about. I think it was brass or woodwind players. I forget which. But you know, I, I got multiple people saying the same thing here. So you know, I got this one email from Toby T. Says, "Great episode, man." Claire seems cool, and I think she's on to something. I've been commended by several different women in regards to my tongue skills, and I was told that trombone players are the best. Needless to say, I played trombone from elementary school through college. My undergraduate degree is in music, so I've heard that for years, even during hookups in grad school. Well, uh, there you have it, people. Trombone players. Go give their face a ride, huh? Yeah, look, a lot of different theories out there. Uh, Frequent guest of the podcast, Kaylee, back from like episode five and forward. You know, she says you got to fuck a bassist. Uh, Me, I say I think everyone wants to get with the drummer. I think he's the wild one. Uh, But now the word is out, trombone players. 
Although I do wonder, I, there might be a case to be made for tuba guys. They got that ability to hold up all that weight and still work their mouths, huh? Huh? Might be an experiment worth trying. Uh, of course, uh, if you want to email me your comments, your questions, your titty pictures, you know, shoot those over to manhorpod at gmail.com. Always love hearing from you. Hope you all had a good weekend. Uh, Paige and I, of course, Paige and I went to a, we tried our first two-party evening. Uh, we went to two orgies in one night, and I think that's too much even for me. I don't, I don't think I'm yet at that level of, uh, of whore. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of decisions you got to make. Like, hey, which party we're going to go do first? Uh, which party is going to have the good food? Uh, the first party was was fine. It was great, but like, man, did it take some time to get people fucking going? Uh, I don't think it wasn't like I'm sitting there be like, hey, someone touched my dick. I'm just saying, like, there's a small group of us, like me and a friend, and like her friend and Paige. We're all kind of looking at the party after a couple hours. Like, okay, cool, we've talked. We've made nice, nice, but uh, why are y'all still got your clothes on? So we thought we'd try to like speed up things. So we were like, okay, well, let's take the mattresses out. You know, if if you build it, they will come and then come. No, that didn't work. Okay, well, like, what if we just start fooling around? So, you know, a friend of mine, you know, we get naked and we start playing. Paige, she's 69 and some guy next to us. Still nothing. It's like 15, 20 people just on one side of the room all talking. And I get it. People want to get to know each other or they're flirting for extended periods of time. That's fine. Do your thing. But I heard this one thing go into my ear that I heard someone say that I thought was a party foul. Someone said something about like, yeah, and then my brother. And I'm like, hey, 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 leave family members out of it. No brothers, please. I'm trying to get a blowjob over here. I feel like there's very few topics should be, you know, orgy off limits. But we had all uh, fun all the same. I want to announce the winner of my bonus episode giveaway. Again, we're doing a contest giveaway, whatever you call it. Every week for this month, I am giving away free and full access to all of the Patreon bonus episodes. Congratulations to Vincent Ortega. Big fan of the show. Likes to use a lot of emojis. Uh, he does. And I hope you enjoy those episodes, dude. When you're done binging on Man Whore Podcast, now you got dozens of extra episodes to get through. Now, for this week's guest, Jillian Keenan. Jillian is the author of Sex with Shakespeare, my favorite book of 2016. Uh, also, possibly uh, one of Paige's favorite books ever. I recommended it to her after I was done with it, and she was like, this changed my life. Jillian was actually very sweet. She she signed a copy for Paige, and she will just say she wrote an inscription that brought her to tears, so as Paige can relate uh, to multiple topics in the book. The book is this, you know, it's about her, um, it's her coming to terms with her fetish through her love, or dare I say, near obsession with Shakespeare. And it's in this format, uh, it's a memoir, and it, but it's done with this format, like this the way she writes, it's so beautiful. And then, you know, she t has these like these, I don't want to, I don't want to insult her and say faux hallucinations, but let's just say these like sort of hallucinatory conversations with Shakespearean characters at different points in her life as she tries to figure out um, herself, her kink and how she loves. 
It is a phenomenal book. And, and here's how I pitch the book to people. I'm not into kink. I don't like Shakespeare. I hate memoirs. I love this book. So I really think everyone, uh, first things first, is as you are listening to this episode, you should go to Amazon or wherever you like to get books um, and get sex with Shakespeare. I was really excited to talk to Jillian. Uh, we have both exchanged positive and negative words on the internet. Uh, we, we, di- we heavily differ on the use of, corp- of spanking or corporal punishment at all. She's a very heavy child's rights person. You know, she uh, she doesn't think you should be spanking your kids because if they have a spanking fetish that you don't know about because they're seven, then you would be sexually abusing your child unknowingly. She would, you know, Jillian says she was sexually abused. Her mom didn't know that. She just thought she was spanking her, but she didn't realize that spanking was such an innate part of her sexual identity. It wasn't a thing that she likes to do that's fun and makes sex better. For her, it is sex. Uh, she actually wrote uh, an amazing article uh, on Slate. I will put a link in the show notes. And uh, she presents an argument that, hey, at least has me thinking about it. I, I originally thought it's a, it was a silly idea. And I was like, well, this, okay, that's a good argument. I never heard that argument before. Now, our part of that conversation is about 10 minutes, and I clipped it out, and it is going to be available only to my level two and up patrons on Patreon. So it is going to be, that part of our conversation is a bonus episode, although she does bring up um, the rights of minors later on in the show. But so, I I tell you this, not just to plug the Patreon. I'm saying I'm telling you this because, you know, I don't know where I stand with her because we had such a not good or positive uh, back and forth online that I was like, oh, fuck. Um, are we good? You know, like I, I showed up there and I was kind of nervous, both because I love her book. So I think she's wonderful. But also, I don't think she likes me. And me as a comedian, I need her to like me. I need it's weird when I record with especially the 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 more celebrity type guests, I have this like desire for them to like me. And I, I, I keep forgetting they don't have to like me. We just have to have an engaging conversation. Like I keep trying to make Jillian laugh and uh, she's a tough audience, you know, she's very polite, but like the, the husband is also in the room during the conversation. So he's laughing at stuff. So a lot of times I find myself like playing to the husband, be like, okay, that's the guy I'm going to get my external validation from. I guess I need my external validation from a man. Oh, well, I'm just going to have to deal with that. So like her politeness almost made me uncomfortable because I don't know, because I don't know how you deal with polite people. Because when you're polite, it means I don't know where you stand. Because even if you don't like me, you're being nice, almost out of obligation, right? So I'd rather, I, I mean, come on, I'd, I'd rather someone say, hey, look, I don't really like you. Let's do this thing. Because then, hey, at least I know where I stand with the person. And then I... I can contextualize all the interactions going forward. Now, my neuroses and uh, dire need for everyone to like me aside, Jillian was a uh, we had a we had a fantastic conversation. Like her book on the on the front of the book, it says you know much to do with pain, but more with love. And our conversation is just that as well. There's a lot of talk of spanking stuff and kink and things of that nature. 
but there's even more discussion about love and choosing to love and what that means to you. Let's get to Jillian Keenan. If, if you, you see don't me, mind, if you could just cue me if I start. Yeah, yeah. You'll just see me do something like this. Uh, I'm not whiffing in the, what was it, pumpkin bread? Is that what it is? Yeah, okay, it's pumpkin bread. Yeah. Pumpkin bread? No, this is uh, me going like smells delicious, but uh, closer to your face. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, otherwise just uh, we'll have a chit chat. We'll do like 45 minutes or so, an hour and okay. have some fun. So the timer will go off. And that's more than okay. Honey, can you do me a favor? What? When the timer goes off, can you, yeah, the recipe said to turn the oven off. 15 minutes and then take it out. Thanks, babe. He's got it. This is why you get married for the pumpkin bread help. (laughs) Well, what's very fun is is so in reading the book, um, I know you're married at the end. You know, I know that that's there, but I don't know who it is. uh, And I didn't I don't think I ever caught the name. So I'm reading the book. It's you, you all ever see the movie. Definitely. Maybe. Uh, no, I don't think so. Definitely, maybe it's a wonderful Ryan Reynolds movie that makes me cry uh, every time, at least twice. And uh, it's he's telling the story of how he met his mother to his daughter, and it's like he, he's like, "There's three women. I'm not going to tell you which one's your mom." Oh, okay. And so we don't know which one the mom is. Uh, she, anyways, that we don't, sounds cool. It's, it's like very, a romantic mystery, right? Exactly. It's, and you don't find out who it is till the end. And with you, it's like, uh, like, is this the guy's? Is this the guy? Well, we're there's only I don't know 50 pages left. This has got to be him. Otherwise, we're gonna have to do a lot of work in a short period of time. Uh, so that that I don't know. That was the feeling I kept getting uh, in the book. And then part of me was like, oh no, well, like maybe maybe things with John don't work out, but then he comes back at the end, and mm. I don't know. So it was a it was, it was very fun uh, reading, and it was very it was a very sweet ending. And then I was on a, an airplane just wiping my face. Mm. Uh, was, Thank you. It was great. It was fantastic. That means a lot to me. Yeah, uh, it is a good time to say that I am uh, sitting here with Jillian Keenan, uh, an author uh, of the book I've talked about many times, "Sex with Shakespeare." Fantastic read. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for reading my book even more. Um, oh. I'm really grateful to anyone who took who takes the time to do that because I know that there's a bazillion amazing books out there and a bazillion more coming out every day. So I'm grateful to anyone who takes the time to read my book. Uh, and I, I've, I've said this multiple times over the last couple months whenever i uh whenever i finished it you know i've just been telling people like this is the this is the best book i read of the year it is i don't even like i don't even like memoirs as like a genre they're so <laughs> self-important and i'm just but this one i was like oh I'm, I'm all in um i don't even i'm not into kink i'm not into shakespeare and yet like i was way into sex with shakespeare that means a lot to yeah me. uh so i mean where where does i mean it's, it's interesting him here because you know, he's in the book, the husband's sitting here and he's in the book so much that must have been kind of weird. Um, being, you mean the, uh, the book itself, you mean, did, did that get uncomfortable? Not to like bring you in so early, but no, no, not, not, not uncomfortable at all. I mean, I think, um, it's been a gradual process of growth that we've gone through together over years, but that's part of what being married and being in a long-term relationship is about is, you know, you accept someone for who they are and you grow together and you get to know each other. And it'd be pretty boring if, you know, the person that you married or um, you met was always going to be the same person throughout your entire life. And I think that that's um, you grow together. And it was really exciting when it came out. I, the book came out. Um, I would always talk to people at work about it, um, my friends about it. 
Um, and it's I'm so proud of Joanne for what she did and how brave she is. Um, <laughs> um, she's also an excellent boom mic as well. Um, <laughs> maybe I should explain what the book is yes, about. Yes, please do. Um, it's about how Shakespeare helped me come to terms with my lifelong spanking fetish. Mm-hmm. And my husband, David, who just jumped in, um, doesn't share my fetish. So it's about how um, Shakespeare helped me come to terms with my own fetish and then ultimately um, come out to David. And it's, it's a it's a beautiful story, and it was interesting because you definitely dumb it down enough for someone like me because like I don't know a lot of Shakespeare, and yet like you, I was able to understand like the characters that you were going to use, and I knew enough that I could understand what was going on. Um, I, I think that that's exactly how Shakespeare should be. I think that a lot of academics and ivory tower types have really done Shakespeare a disservice by giving people the message that he is fancy or inaccessible. Um, this stuff is porn and, and soap operas. <laughs> it's ghosts and blood and cannibalism and lots and lots and lots of sex. Um, so there's nothing inaccessible about Shakespeare. Um, I think that, you know, the, as I write in the book, the people who crowded into the standing room only section of the globe weren't academics and noblemen. They yeah. were regular Joes like you and me. Um, and I don't have a PhD either. Right. <laughs> so I think um, there are no gatekeepers in Shakespeare. You think they, they also did the service by removing a lot of the kink? <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of kink in Shakespeare, but I have to admit um, my my vision is so clouded by my fetish that I, I can't really look at anything or read anything or watch anything without seeing kink in anything uh, or in everything. Um, they got to remove I'll say a little I've spent bit. A lot the- of time recently with... Um, George Washington scolding Alexander Hamilton in, in Hamilton, obviously. So mm. I, I see kink everywhere I look. <laughs> you see it everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You got to remove a little bit of it for like a 13-year-old. <laughs> I feel like they need to get some comprehensive sex ed before they can actually get like, oh, this is, this is a thing some people like. <laughs> well, I guess I would say that um, an issue that's very important to me is that children have emerging sexual identities mm-hmm. that they are aware of. Um, or becoming aware of, they probably don't have the experience or the vocabulary or certainly the language or cultural context to understand what their sexuality might be. But I can say, when you mention a 13-year-old, I certainly was aware of the fact that I was obsessed with spanking by mm-hmm. the time I was 13 years old and many, many, many years before. Um, something that has surprised me as I wrote this book is I, you know, I live in Manhattan. We right. both live in New York City. Um, we both seem like the kind of younger generation types who hang out in um, educated, urbane, I'm going to guess, rather socially progressive <laughs> crowds. Yeah. So among my friends, no one would blink twice if someone said, I was gay by the time I was four years old, mm-hmm. or I was transgender by the time I was from this moment I was born. Yeah. Um, but when I tell people that I was a fetishist by the time I was one years old, two years old, three years old, from my very earliest memories, I was absolutely obsessed with spanking. People are taken aback. And that always surprises me right. because if sexuality is intact, but nascent, of course, and, and poorly understood in toddlers in other respects, why wouldn't sexuality be innate in this respect too i do believe that my fetish is innate um and and that's important you know i um i think it's important to consider that there are 13 year olds out there who have obsessions they don't understand that make them feel terrified and isolated 
and talking about the fact that they're not alone, that their sexual interests are okay, they're healthy, um, and certainly not something that should be inflicted on them non-consensually by their parents. These are important issues. These are issues that are really important to me. And so, well, I do agree with you uh, with the implication. You didn't say it, but I agree with the implication that maybe my book isn't um, necessarily appropriate for 13-year-olds. I think it's appropriate for a 13-year-old, hopefully 20 years from now, where we have like, you know, the, all the other sex ed in there where, that, uh, where your book would be properly contextualized. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, think, I don't think we can go from like uh, from, from absence only to spanking. <laughs> sure. Um, but I do look forward to a time when um, the the broad spectrum of fetishes, not only my own fetish, but other fetishes as well, are as banal and commonplace in pop culture um, that kids do grow, grow up with the knowledge that this is just another point on the human sexual spectrum, like homosexuality or, or uh, other non-normative mm-hmm. sexual identities. Yeah, but and I think we're starting to get there. If if the progressive cities are always the ones that come out first, right? You know, if we're not talking the Bible Belt, but <laughs> if like in New York City, you can say that you're into kink. I mean, something like Fifty Shades of Grey, as problematic and not great as it is, uh, it is opening the it opened a conversation, and you've got people go. I mean, they sell fucking butt plugs in Kmart <laughs> uh, or Walmart. Like they sell them there. Do they? They, it has to say Fifty Shades of Grey on it, but uh, I had yes, no idea. they wow. sell sex. They, they had a fucking vibrating cock ring next to fucking birthday cards. Wow, which, I had no idea. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're starting to have a talk. Yeah, that certainly is a change. Yeah. So I feel like in New York City, you can say that you're a spanking fetishist and have a, a better chance of people being like, okay. Or if you say BSM, they'll be like, okay. If certain fetishes, I think, are starting to become, especially if we're in the West Village, I think that would be. Um, or uh, taken in. There's a lot of misunderstandings, yeah. even in New York City, about what it means to be a fetishist. I think a lot of people assume that a fetish is something that you enjoy sexually, mm. like a sexual preference. Yeah, um, It's really not. The best explanation that I've come across is that for me, um, and I'm certain there are fetishists out there who would have their own definitions, yeah. and those definitions are, are valid too, of course. But my definition is that my fetish occupies the place in my life that sex occupies in the lives of most people. I never fantasize about sex, mm. ever. I never masturbate to the thought of sex, ever. Sex is not distasteful to me, but it's also not particularly interesting to me. Spanking is sex for you. Spanking is is sex yeah. for me. Um, and people have, with other fetishes, have told me that they have similar experiences um, where a fetish is not a side dish to sex. It's not a prologue to sex. It is the main course. Um, and while sex might be an enjoyable dessert, um, you don't need or even want dessert with every meal. Yeah. I mean, I was at a, I was at a little like play gathering on Saturday with my girlfriend and we were the only ones who had sex, like traditional sex the whole night. I think my only penis was the one that was like used in the whole evening. Everything else was all kink play. There was spanking and tying up and a wax scene and more spanking. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't surprise me. No one was fucking, but these were all like kinksters who like, that's all they need. Exactly. And like as a not kinky person myself, I go like. All right, man. Uh, I still kind of, I still need to come, but like, yeah, <laughs> rock it. Um, of course, yeah, it, yeah. It, and I think your book definitely made me understand that more completely. Where it was like, oh, 
when you when you said that if you were given the choice of like sex or spanking only the rest of your life, you'd like I choose spanking. I'm like, oh, that okay. That is I a get that. wonderful compliment. That means a lot to me. Um, and as I said, I think that is the misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. So even in New York City, I think if I you know told a lot of people I'm a spanking fetishist, a lot of them would kind of roll their eyes and think, okay, she of just wants to be like swatted <laughs> yeah. during sex. Like that's no big deal. But it is a big deal when you are growing up and so much of pop culture and so many of the messages you get are so focused on sex. And when you have no interest in that and have this obsessive interest in something else, something you're not supposed to have an obsessive interest in, it's very easy to feel broken. Um, Suicide is a problem among the fetish community, particularly among young people. Um, Isolation is definitely a problem. So that's that's why it is. I do understand why people tend to roll their eyes mm. when they hear these conversations, but um, there are sincere issues why they why they shouldn't roll their eyes. Why these conversations are worth having. All right. I mean, I do my best not to roll my eyes, but it feels like every twenty two year old girl in college just like I'm really really kinky. Like I really want to be spanked, and they're trying to use vocabulary that's like no, I just. I just don't know how to have sex, and that's why I was told I'm supposed to like. And then there's the people who I meet, like my girlfriend, who I'm like, no, that is the thing. Um, so you recognize so, the difference. Oh, yeah. No, I I've recognize when I'm an asshole. People, I recognize when I'm condescending. No, I, I found <laughs> that the people who get it most, mm. the people who understand fetish most, are non-fetishists like you and like my husband, David, who are in relationships with fetishists. Mm-hmm. They they understand completely that there is a difference. Well, we have to. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we're in trouble. That's <laughs> Otherwise, like, I am in a fight, probably. No. Um, huh? But no, but, you know, you, you meet, like, a lot of 19-year-olds and they go, like, I'm super kinky. I, like... I'm a total sub. I'm like, of course you are. Let's talk in four years. Um, and then yeah, then we'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. I don't know. because, And I think that part of that stems from like not learning to be able to grasp your sexuality in high school years and early college years and be able to know like what sex is. And not a lot of them, they, they, they defer to like submissive by default because mm-hmm. they're like, well, I guess what else am I supposed to do than lay back and take it? I guess I can't speak to that because I don't have much experience sure. with um, the sexualities of women in college <laughs> yeah, these yeah. days since I am um, not currently on the market. Right. But <laughs> what would um, you say is the difference between, you know, the spanking fetish and BDSM? Because, like, I've, you know, one seems to encapsulate the other, but you're not you're not like a kinkster. It's not like you need the uh, all the straps and all sure, the shopping. Sure, I have no interest in being tied up, for example. I or, feel like your budget's a lot cheaper. Well, per- <laughs> perhaps it's better to put it this way. I think my interest in being tied up or my interest in suspension or my... Um, you do suspension? My interest in oh, suspension interest, okay. or my interest in bondage sure. would be comparable to the interest level of an open-minded, curious, vanilla person, which is to say, sure, I'll give things a try. Like I always, I'm a curious person by nature. I love to experiment. I love to explore. Um, But I don't think compulsively about bondage all day, every day, like some people I know, or I don't, I don't think compulsively about rubber or leather all day, every day, like some people. Um, I think about spanking compulsively all day, every day. I can, I can talk about, um, one woman I know who um, who identifies as she, – she's, she's drawn to master-slave dynamics within the BDSM community. Mm-hmm. And 
the the things she responds to, the startles she responds to, the cultural cues she responds to are totally different than the ones I respond to. So I, I always describe BDSM as a tree that has a lot of different branches. Um, and I certainly think of people on other branches of the BDSM tree as like cousins. Yeah. Uh, we're part of the same family, but we're, we don't necessarily have anything in common. It's one hell of a Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good Thanksgiving. That must be a fun one. What's your, you know, the, you talk a lot, uh, you talk in the book about, do you ever, do you have, did you ever have a lapse in like memory of being into spanking and then it started flashing back to you later on no. in life or it was always a, a consciousness? Every single day right. for as long as I can remember. And how far back do you remember? My earliest memories of thinking about spanking probably date back to when I'm around three or four years old. Mm. Um, I certainly, and, and in general, I was always obsessed with discipline. Um, to the point where I couldn't say these words. Um, it was only in the last five years that I could say the word spanking out loud. It's only in the last few years that I would say the word discipline out loud. It was too intense. Right. And to this day, I have many, many friends who will not say those words out loud. It's, also saying discipline as a three-year-old just sounds adorable because he can't quite get all the syllables out probably. Of course. No, <laughs> cer- was, certainly at, at three years old, <laughs> I, I didn't have those words. But I can say... Um, Okay, so one of my earliest memories is that when I was, I'm going to assume around five or six years old, um, I used to play house with my friends, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you probably did, Billy, right? But most kids play house. If, you know, if I had friends uh, as a kid, I probably pl- would have played house, yeah. You probably <laughs> would have played house. Um, so just like normal stuff, right? Kids crawl into a playhouse and someone's the mom and someone's the dad and you, I don't know, do this stupid shit that kids do. Um, but even at that age, even at age five, I would manipulate my friends. I would manipulate our scenarios so that whoever was playing the mom or dad would end up chasing us around the playhouse with a belt, which I always provided, which I always made sure to provide, um, yelling that we needed to be punished. And I found these moments so incredibly satisfying, but at the same time, I knew intuitively that I could never let grownups see this game Mm -hmm. and that I needed to be ashamed of them. And I was ashamed of them. A few years later, um, when I was old enough to start reading, I looked up the word spanking in the dictionary just to read the dictionary definition of the term so many times that eventually the dictionary automatically fell open to those pages. And what was reassuring as an adult was when I got involved in the spanking fetish community and met a lot of other spankos, as they're called, um, and learned that we all looked up the, this word compulsively right. in the dictionary, that I wasn't weird. I was just exploring a non-normative sexual identity in the way that most of us do. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I have a foggy memory of my very early childhood in general. Mm. I don't have a ton of memories of being three or four or five, but all of the memories I do have revolve around spanking because that has always been so core to me. I don't know. Do you have, um, I don't want to assume that you're heterosexual, but because you were dating we, a woman, I for, assume for you have some we, interest in for, women. For this year, we can assume I'm heterosexual. Okay. I do a check-in like every eight months. At the moment, yeah. you know, sexuality is a moving target. At every party, I see dicks next to me and I've yet to want one, mm. but you okay. know, who knows? So then I'll ask you, <laughs> do you have like a clear first memory of the first time you were, you realized you were attracted to girls? Um, 
I don't have a specific one, but I do remember the first time I looked at something that felt pornographic. Okay. But it wasn't it wasn't porn. My my dad had this cigar box and uh it you would open it up and there was a woman there was like a sticker and the I guess the label, the logo, whatever. Um it was this like painting woman and like her breast is out. And I think it's only even one I think it's only one tit. I don't even think it was two tits, but I was so into that tit because it was like the first like good titty I had seen. I must have been like fourth grade. And like and I remember just So you were about nine. Probably something there. It could have been a little earlier, maybe even. Sure. And, and I remember there was this other kid, Luke, and we would just stare. Unlike you, I don't care about people's first names. Um, no. Um, this kid, Luke, we would like look at the cigar box and just like stare at it. We wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't touch ourselves, but we would just like stare at this painting. That's awesome. And like even today, um, and I don't know. It was just very strange. Even today, a good painting will. Hit you in the good spot? No, I was going to say that the, I remember like my mouth instinctively op- kind of opening up. Like I, I like, uh. like as a nine year old, I knew I want this in my mouth, but, and I, it's the same way in today. Like if I see something, like if I'm watching porn and I'm watching, you know, some genital that I'm just like, and my mouth starts dropping and it's only been the last like few months that I'm remembering. That's rather thing. beautiful. That's why I asked if there was like a gap and you were remembering later in life because like i'm only starting to remember shit now sure yeah um in my case i i always knew that i was obsessed with spanking but i thought that i was really fucked up right i thought something was wrong with me um which of course was the was and still is the psychiatric consensus um sadism and masochism are still listed as they still are there was a slight change in the classification in the most recent dsm-5 okay um yeah so I don't know how much you know about the history of um, sexuality and the DSM. I don't- all the good sex was was considered crazy. That's the most I know. I'll- if it was any good, it was probably said you're not supposed to have it. I'll boil it down a little yeah. bit. First, homosexuality was a mental illness. Yeah, that was out. And then they downgraded it to something called ego-dystonic homosexuality. Interesting. Ego-dystonic homosexuality became the new mental illness. And what it said, essentially, was homosexuality was a mental illness only if... The homosexual in question felt distress about it. That is, if uh, so, a self-hating gay, essentially, essentially, um, and so then that was a mental illness. And then finally, triumphantly, homosexuality was removed from the D- uh, the DSM entirely. Right now, BDSM is in a similar place. Mm-hmm. First, um, sadism and masochism were both listed as mental illnesses. Then, uh, in the most recent DSM five they downgraded sadism and masochism to essentially ego dystonic uh, sadism What's and masochism. What's ego dystonic? Is that it's that's when you feel distress okay. about it. Yeah. So essentially shame. So essentially it says if the patient is upset by their sadism or masochism or if they're uncomfortable with it, mm. um, then, then they are mentally and ill. And that's not mental illness. That's just shame. That's not mental illness. It's just shame, which often is a product of things like the D- yeah. DSM. Well, where's your shame come from? I'm assuming it's shame about sex because since for you spanking was sex so i don't think parents are going to instinctively go like spanking's bad they go like sex is bad and if this sex is spanking for you therefore you go like no this is that's shameful. not no? it at all i never all right. i i longed to want sex i everything in, in society told me that i was supposed to want sex but at every such a young age if you were feeling TV shame show, like where was that coming from um, the shame was coming from the fact that I craved something that was being non-consensually inflicted on me as a punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, the shame came 
um, almost in- intuitively from the fact that I never saw relationships like the ones I craved in movies or TV shows. Um, and, and then whenever I did, whenever there were moments that referenced um, spanking in mm-hmm. a adult context, it was always um, – there was always a laugh track in the background uh, or the character was always um, kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, there are a lot of – I'll think of uh, – I'll say this. I saw an episode of Sex and the City when I was in high school okay. where um, Miranda finds spanking pornography in a date's apartment. And there's a scene where Miranda shows her friend Carrie this porn and they both look at it and they just look horrified and then they look like they're laughing at this man mm. that had this pornography in his apartment. And I I saw that scene and I knew that I was an object of horror and mockery, which I had mm always intuitively yeah. felt i was um so that, that's where the shame came from okay well and it's you know it's it's odd you say that the anytime you see kink in say you know mainstream stuff it was always someone's laughing but um there's plenty of laughter in kink i feel like absolutely amongst the kinksters but there is a difference yeah. between laughing with someone and, and laughing, laughing at, at right someone. right and i'm saying like when you're if you go like like on Saturday, there was so much laughter going on amongst that. Like, I think those people have such a great sense of humor about absolutely, themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite photographs. Um, I retweeted it six or seven sure. times because that's how much I love it. <laughs> oh, is it the it's, brush one? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh. It's a, a photograph of a woman caning another woman. Okay. Um, which is a quite severe form of spanking. But they are both laughing in the photo, and they both look so happy. Um, and I love this photo because it really underlines the joy of discipline and the joy of spanking in this case. Um, and so absolutely, I, I love that you underline and, and recognize the joy yeah. of this thing we do because it is incredibly joyful. A lot of smiles, except for when like it turns into crying, but everyone else standing around watching the scene is smiling. Uh, they, they, you know, Or there's lots of, uh, oh my God, that's... That bruise, yeah, no, that's from three weeks ago. Isn't that crazy? And just the bruise talk I find very interesting because, like, I can't really relate. So I'm just watching people compare bruise sizes and how long they've been there. Well, have you ever <laughs> been drawn to hickeys? Um, yeah, but I, like, learned tricks how to get them out. Like, I learned the eraser trick. But ha- have you ever been, like, attracted to them or, or proud to have a hickey? Or I mean, I was... I think hickeys are the closest vanilla equivalent right. to... the. I was proud to when I got my first hickey because I was like, "Look, someone touched me!" I swear. So I think that <laughs> I think that bruises are a little analogous that way. Like I adore bruises. My phone, as I wrote in the book, is just filled with pictures of bruises. I give Seeing them names. My, my girlfriend and her friends' phones. It's all bruise pictures. All bruise pictures, <laughs> and it's they're kind of like trophies. They're kind of like love letters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort of wonderful to have a record of touch. Um, so I think that's why we love them. What's your proudest trophy? Oh, if you can remember, I or one can. of your favorites, I can tell you. Um, don't be corny. Don't go with the first bruise he gave you. That's the easy <laughs> answer. Um, so before the show, we were talking about how, um, when you write a memoir, you're rather frozen in time as the person you were at the point the book ended. 
And in my case, it's a bit unfortunate that my book ends um, before I met all of my friends and before I started going to play part parties, mm-hmm. before I started playing with my friends, because that's been a major change in my life. Yeah. But I do have a number of <coughs> beloved friends who um, I adore in vanilla contexts, but also who share my fetish and I do play with them. Um, and my favorite bruise was given to me um, by one of my closest friends. Her name is Heather. Um, and her um, boyfriend and dominant, his name is Hayes. And uh, this happened at my 30th birthday party. So it was a 30th. You're 30? I'm 30. Okay. Sorry. Continue. It was a birthday present to me. And... Um, I have a beautiful photo that Pung, my best friend, who's in the book, right. um, took for me of um, of those bruises, and I will cherish that photo for a long time. I'm sure. That's fun. That's fun. <laughs> I, uh, I like. I just. I wrote down bruises as love letters. I was like, "That's you." The 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 language you used uh, was fascinating because you would describe just some of the raunchiest thing. Like you have like the most beautiful way to say butthole. Uh, I can't, oh man, I wrote that on page number two. It's 284. It was like, uh, and I spread her cheeks and spit on the, oh man, I got to bring that up. Hold on. Well, you got to lubricate it, Billy. You know, you got to get a little, little bit of lubrication there. Right. You say, <laughs> oh, I'm just joking that that's why I spit on it. <laughs> no, no, of course. Of course. So what do we you have go, here? Uh, with my left hand, uh, I spit into the fingertips of my right hand and wipe the liquid across, um, <clears throat> the black bullseye at the apex of her gorge. And I'm like, yo. Loving it. I'm, gl- I'm just grateful. These very eloquent ways of saying the the most, which it would be like very Shakespearean. No, I think that's right. true. Yeah, the man was so raunchy. He has cunt jokes in several of his plays, including Hamlet. Yeah. Why do our high school teachers never tell us this? Uh, because uh, they'll get fired. <laughs> they get fired for way less these days. That's true. Of course, you're right. Um, I mean, there was a, what, a high school football coach got fired for like uh, making a kid run laps. Because he was bullying another kid. Oh, and he gets okay. fired for that. And I'm like, ah, oh, my wuss generation. Did you know that um, Shake- there's a dildo joke in Shakespeare? A joke about dildos? There's only one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he used it for one of the first times in the English language. Shakespeare used the word dildos. Well, he came up with all the cool raunchy words. Oh, he's, yeah? he's just the, he was the man. <laughs> I want to take a moment to tell you all about my sponsor this week, StockingsVR.com. StockingsVR.com is the leading virtual reality site dedicated to stockings and lingerie adult content. With its state-of-the-art VR technology, users will be able to access unique content featuring the hottest models in a variety of sexy fetish lingerie panties and stockings. Visitors often say that StockingsVR.com is so immersive and so erotic that it's better than the real thing. I don't know about that. I'm going to have to see it to believe it. Are you enjoying playing around with that new virtual reality headset that you got for like Christmas or Hanukkah? Or hey, maybe it's just Black Friday and you fucking wanted it. Well, virtual reality porn is, of course, now a thing. And you should try it out at stockingsvr.com. I want to take a moment to go through some of the titles that they've got. They've got uh, Dangerous Debutantes. It's got a picture of a woman eating out another woman. But they're probably dangerous. Maybe they've got guns or something. Then you got other things like, you know, teacher's pet, depraved panty dom, want to look up my skirt. Uh, this, this is my favorite title. 
This video is apparently so explicit that they didn't even give it a title. It's just called Warning Graphic Squirting Content While Wearing Stockings. So if you want to experiment with virtual reality porn, give StockingsVR.com a try. They're currently offering special holiday pricing of $19.95 a month if you sign up before January 28th. Memberships are typically $24.95 a month. So head on over to StockingsVR.com. So you mentioned that you have like the parties you go to now. And you had mentioned it when I think we first interacted. Uh, you had mentioned you have like spanking parties and that's all they are. Yes. You want to talk more about though? Because that's the type of party I've yet to hear about. I've heard about makeout parties and BDSM <laughs> part. Make out, oh, makeout parties are great. I talk about it all the time on the show. Uh, want to tell me more about that other than the obvious. I hang out with my friends. We play games. We talk politics. We have some wine or not. We go out to dinner or not. And yeah, we spank each other. That's it? <laughs> that's well, it. How'd you How do you find that community? Um, I mean, certainly there are forums on the internet where spankos find each other. Um, but in this case, a, I met a lot of my friends. I'm just thinking of writing. spanking pun website names. Sorry. What, yeah. What's like a, what's a big spanking forum or site, uh, where people would find each other or do you like find that on FetLife or. There is some stuff on FetLife. There's uh spanking tube. There's real spankings. Um, for a long time, there was a great um, list serve called sos.sexuality. or sos. It was SSS sos.sexuality. spanking. Um, there's ipunishment.com. Um, and as I list these websites, I'm not necessarily endorsing any of them. Mm. But um, in my case, certainly a lot of my current Spanko friends found me because of the public articles I've written. Okay. Because there aren't. Um, Many people who write about having a spanking fetish under their real names. Mm -hmm. Daphne Merkin did so for The New Yorker in 1996, but that was quite a long time ago. We were children then. Right. Um, I, I certainly wasn't aware of that article when it was first published. Mm -hmm. um, and then right now, no one else is writing about this fetish under a real name. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people who want to reach out to someone and share their experience and be reassured that they're not alone. Yada, yada, so did yada, you put together this group, basically? They email me. No, I wouldn't take credit for okay. it. I mentioned my friend Heather before. Um, so right after, so I outed myself in the New York Times several years ago in a modern love column. And after I outed myself, I thought, well, shit, I guess I'm out now. <laughs> so I should go to a party. Um, and there are a number of spanking parties, both around the country and in New York City. And I was always aware of them, um, naturally, because you become aware of them when you spend... 99% yeah. <laughs> of your life just Googling the word spanking. Right. Um, and so I went to a spanking party downtown um, and I, I got all dressed up. I got dolled up. I did my hair. I even wore makeup, which I almost never do. And I came to the door that led to the party and I heard slapping sounds coming from inside. Oh, and how happy were you? <laughs> I was terrified. Really? I stood outside the door for 45 minutes holding the plate of cookies I had brought to share with people at the party. And then I turned around and left. And I didn't even try to go to another party for two years because I was so overwhelmed, so freaked out, so scared, so intimidated. Um, there was a difference I found between writing about my fetish and going into a room filled with people who shared my fetish. I was scared. 
And so about uh, two years later after this, I, I think I tweeted something like, okay, I'm going to try going to a party again, like round two. Right. And um, Heather, who I mentioned, who is now one of my closest friends, tweeted at me, I think. And she said, if it would be less intimidating, I can go to a party with you. She said, I go to parties all the time. I can kind of, we can meet for a drink and right. go together. Someone you hadn't met. There's like an internet person, right? Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. We met at a bar in Manhattan. We had drinks. I stole her nachos. And um, a few months later, she took me to my first party. And um, since then, she and I have started, we've developed friendships with more people, some who we met through email, some who, because they emailed me, some through we met um, through larger national parties. And we started having, you know, house parties at our apartments in New York City. And it's really wonderful now does dave go yes sometimes he's a busy doctor but when he can he comes okay and but you what was it like the first time you brought him was that nervous as well yeah of course absolutely um you know i think i mean you you tell me i think anytime you share something that is very important to you with someone who is very important to you, you're a little bit nervous, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, my husband is obsessed with the Atlanta Falcons, and I imagine <laughs> early, you know, 10 years ago when we met and started dating, when he first tried to... Not the same, not even comparable. <laughs> he just said not the same, not even comparable. <laughs> and that's true. It is not the same, it's not even comparable. But okay, but perhaps that's a bad analogy. But, um, you know, if there's something that you, that's so fundamental to your life that mm-hmm. you can't live without it, then when you introduce it to the person you can't live without, you hope that things go well. What's that feeling like for you? Like the can't live without a person feeling that I I, can't live without David. Yeah. I mean, like I read in the book, the, you know, the, when you meet him and you're falling for him and all that mushy gushy stuff, but just that feeling in general of like needing a person. I don't know. I've really been into people. I've really been like my my soul like drops down and shit. But I don't know that I've ever felt like I needed another person like no, that. No, you're you're absolutely right. And the feminist in me requires me to say <laughs> that of course I could live without David. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but I, I suppose no one's I was questioning just your credentials. Reverting to some cultural shorthand when I use that expression, but perhaps I would rephrase it by saying I don't particularly want to live without him. Well, um, maybe I should rephrase then. What does love feel like for you? This has been a topic I've been thinking about and exploring. Well, as I wrote in the book at this point, and I reserve the right to contradict myself. Sure. I reserve the right to change my mind because um, goodness knows I have changed my mind about mm-hmm. things over the years. I think love is half a miracle and half a choice. And I think that the choice half of love is under discussed. Um, throughout the 10 years we've been together, David and I have always said, and I think I introduced this phrase, I think I was the first person who said it, um, we say, someday it will be easier to leave than to stay. And when that day comes, I'll stay. And I think that's what love means to me. Um, It means a ferocious commitment to your shared history, to the values, the fundamental values you respect and admire in each other. It it's a ferocious commitment to the future that you hope to share, the memories that you already do share. 
Um, and perhaps this sounds unromantic. Um, no, it sounds almost in a sense kind of old school that, you know, at mm-hmm. least that maybe our gen- our generation's parents felt it's like you get married or even maybe our grandparents' generation. It's like, well, you get married and you stay with that person until one of you kills each other. Like, That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I got I got him with it though. I got. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like okay, I'm gonna play. I'm playing the David a little bit. See if we get. Ch- okay, we got a chuckle. All right, I feel good. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're used to making people chuckle. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Continue. I just think that love is a verb, and not in the carnal sense. Um, I don't mean the physical act of love. But I think that love is a. It should be an active word, a, mm-hmm. a verb, a choice, a, a process, a conversation. People do change. I think that people evolve. And when you love someone, you have to, I think, um, take the time and energy to constantly get to know the new people that we are all becoming all all mm. the time. I imagine that you are not the same person you were 10 years ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Neither is David. Uh, but David and I fell, quote unquote, in love 10 years ago. So if we just clung to that feeling, if he was trying to be in love with the woman he met 10 years ago, the woman he fell in love with 10 years ago, he'd be to, um, he's from North Dakota, <laughs> so to speak in his language, I'll say he would be up shit crick without a paddle. They say, they pronounce... Creek. Crick, creek, as crick. They say crick. David's nodding. He, yeah, they say crick. So if we clung to the people we originally fell in love, I feel with, like that's going to bother me for like a whole night. I, okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's been bothering me for the last ten years, really. <laughs> We'd be up shit crick without a paddle. Um, you, there's a second pun there, of course, with the word paddle, since this is a of spanking course. conversation. Um, but you know, I, I love the man, David. Who, is now even more than I loved the man he was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think love is a process of falling in love over and over again. Um, and I wish, you know, I wish I had known that before because I, I guess I sort of thought because of pop culture that, that falling in love was a one time thing. It happens once and then it just stays for the rest of your life. And maybe that's true sometimes. I'm sure it is true sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I would say I fall in love with David over and over again um, as he grows and changes. And uh, certainly I would hope he says the same about me. Is there for you, is there just the one love? As in like a person, like is there like there's the one, per- there is the one. Is that in your mind true? I think there is the one I have chosen to spend my life with. Fair. Because the other qu- the other version of that question I was thinking in my head as you were saying that that very um, beautiful sentiment on love was the you know did you because it seems like in the book that at least the first guy it seems like you think you love him John right that's the pseudonym that he had right yep right do you still believe you did love John I think I was so young that I didn't understand myself mm-hmm. I didn't understand him um, I didn't understand love i mean you know love is tricky right like as i wrote in the book an infant love is as different from adult love as an infant is different from a human yeah um i mean these things grow and improve over time or grow and change over time 
Um, so if I loved John, it was an infant love. Mm. Um, words are tricky. Words are tricky, but you were you were very good with them. Um, That's very kind. I, I I can only compliment you so many times. Uh, I mean, we we can do the less kind talks and be like, oh, you know, hey, let's do this. So we brought we brought up the spanking parties, and you had um, this is something I was curious about. So you had invited me one, then we had a conversation that paused things. Um, well, I think um, I when you first reached out to me. I had the impression that you might share my fetish. Right, right. And then when, when it became clear to me that you didn't, mm -hmm. I realized that I had preemptively invited you to a party. Um, we've had, you know, in my circle, we've had a couple negative experiences where we invited non-fetishists uh, to join us for whatever reason. Um, certainly non-fetish partners come to our parties all the time and are absolutely welcome. Um, and fundamentally, anyone is welcome. But we've just had a couple negative experiences where a curious, non-fetishist friend wanted to come because they were curious. Not because they were curious that they might have it, but they were just curious. Well, so They're like, I want to see. I've never met someone who is curious that they might have a fetish. I don't reject the possibility that, that someone exists. But a fetish is such a overwhelming, prevailing Thing. It's such a defining aspect of identity that people tend to know. Um, Certainly by our age, you have an idea which implement I mean, or costume is the fet, you know. Sure. It's like as simple as this sometimes. Were you compulsively looking up the word spanking in the dictionary <laughs> yeah. when you were 10? Like if the answer is yes, you know. If the answer is no, you know. Um, what type of what type of a what what does a negative experience look like if you don't mind me asking? Well, people, you know, it's it's we're there's still a lot of you know I, I know that I outed myself and I talk about these things and I use my real name, but there are reasons that I'm the only one who does at the moment. There's a lot of shame in the community. People are very very closeted. They're very ferociously protective of their identities. And yeah, there have been bad experiences. Sometimes as banal as a trusted vanilla friend comes and they're just kind of bored. Mm -hmm. They find that they're just kind of bored. They're expecting an orgy. And when they find that it really is just people spanking each other, they just get kind of disinterested and, and having someone there who's not excited about what we're, we are so excited about makes us feel kind of, fucked up again it's it's very right. easy no, for no, us no, i to get that feel you feel like you feel like someone's just staring and observing you almost. yeah i mean nobody wants to feel like a zoo animal right um so we just have we've had some negative experiences in that sense i will say at one of the um regional new york spanking parties a there's a regionals there's national parties okay. um, that you know, people fly from different cities to attend and hundreds of people come then there are regional parties like local city parties where people who live in that city come and then there are house parties, which are the parties that I. That it I sounds like like just divisionals in the sports, where, like you work your way through that, and then you get to the get to the states. And uh, if you're really if you're a really good spanker, you can go pro, go all national. Exactly. You go to the convention in D.C., bring home a nice big trophy and a bruise, and exactly. you had a good weekend. Exactly. <laughs> um, about a year ago, a woman attended a vanilla woman. Uh, I won't call her a journalist. Ooh, ooh, that sounds like journalist shade. That sounds like she puts it in her Twitter bio and you do not agree. I Is this a, a writer person and you're you're just you hesitate to use the word journalist, but I'll just say this. Yeah. A woman attended a uh 
a spanking party in mm-hmm. New York City, a regional party. So not a house party. Sure, sure. Um, a party that's open to the public. But because um, t- house parties like any other house party tend to be invite only. Yeah. Um, but there are city parties that are you know open to the public, of course, as they should be. A woman attended um, one of these parties, did not explain why she was there, did not identify herself as a non-fetishist, um, presented herself as part of the community, mm-hmm. um, played with a friend of mine, and then wrote a quote-unquote article about her experience using names Ooh. for um, an online rag. Would this be like an exogene happened to me? Oh, man, does it sound like it? That was not the platform. (laughs) Okay. But I will say for such a closeted community to have someone come and, again, treat us like zoo animals and write using names, using names that she was told in confidence. Um, She played with a friend of mine. He introduced himself to her as is polite and friendly he thought he was in a safe space and then she went and wrote about it on a public platform mm. um i was i still remember how furious i was when i found out what had happened that's interesting where the morals come in like where sex is such a clickable topic to write about mm-hmm. and it's almost like who <clears throat> quote and i i'm gonna say quote unquote should write about which things and in which way uh, and how to do that responsibly and safely because well i would know. say that as someone who is a journalist yeah. i identify myself as such when you've written non-sex things I, i'll i'll throw out there yeah <laughs> sure i'm a foreign uh, <laughs> correspondent i i write for foreign policy i write for washington post right which as a just as a one note you mentioned in in the book everyone wanted you to write about sex stuff and you're like actually no i want to write about this interest these interesting things yeah. uh which i thought was awesome uh, but i recognize that journalism ethics are complicated and that is certainly a separate conversation i won't waste your time with it but i'm of the opinion that if you um want to write about a sexual minority um, it is certainly a sexual minority that is um, that that deals with issues of shame and suicide, as this community does. It is profoundly irresponsible to um, one not identify yourself as a journalist and two um, non consensually use names in mm-hmm. a public article. If I were to interview you, you Billy, for an article, for example. Um, I well, I'm a bad example. I would insist you use my name and give me a link back. Um, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, if I was just a regular Joe, you would you'd say like, "Do you want me to change your name?" I ask women when they do the show because again, normally like half of the guests on the show are people I've like hooked up with in some form. Sure. And before we start, every time I say, um, "What name do you do you want to be, Melissa, or do you want to be something else?" and don't pick like something ridiculous like Shaquanda, but like I'll use whatever name you want. Sure. I guess I'll, I'll I'll make this analogy. Um as I said, I also write about things that aren't spanking. Right. Um and I I several years ago I did a piece for Marie Claire magazine about a North Korean defector. Um as I'm sure you know, when people defect from North Korea, it's, uh, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> and oftentimes the North Korean state will issue reprisals against their families. So I who are still in the country. Right. Um and so when I interviewed this uh woman, 
Marie Claire and I, my editors there and I, both worked incredibly hard to protect this woman's identity. In the photos that the magazine ran, she's covering her face. We did not use her real name. Um, we were very, very careful to protect her identity and therefore protect the safety of her family that is still in North Korea. Mm-hmm. It would have been, it would have left blood on my hands for me to irresponsibly interview this woman, write about her, and use her name um, without without considering the implications of of that choice. And so along the same lines, I think it was incredibly irresponsible for this person to, uh, you know, just roll into a spanking party thinking it was funny and, and I'm an get, object of interest. I'm getting in there and I'm just going to write about shit. I'm like, I hate yeah. that. I mean, and, people have been doing that about all sorts of parts because this is New York City where there's like a party for everything here. Yeah. And people, that's like a common thing. You have people be like, hey, I want to go to an orgy so I can like oh, I'm not going to do anything. I just want to like watch and experience and I'm going to write about it because like I have nothing else interesting to write about because I'm I'm not talented. Um, So you asked about our bad experiences and I was just throwing that out as a more extreme example of a bad experience. Totally. But sometimes, as I said, bad experiences can be as banal as um, someone coming and just being... Certainly we've had people come and get freaked out. That happens sometimes. Um, But then it doesn't even have to be fear it can sometimes just be boredom and that that doesn't feel good either there's something about the way we view i think sex still like as uh anything that's like non-normative as this uh what's a novelty almost that people who write want to treat it as such like sure you know parties like a skirt club or i mean again like spanking party anything i mean what how do you think people should go about that because there's a way you know, I can see value in wanting to write about a party of that nature. Oh, sure. You know, there, spe- yes, cause, cause 100%. You, can, you can write about a spanking party and it's going to be one point of view. And, and someone who's not a fetishist will be able to give a different point of view on it. Absolutely. Um, a 100%, non-judgmental one. 100%. I think that all journalism, yeah. not just sexual journalism, but all journalism uh, needs to be r- conducted in a responsible and conscientious way. If you're going to write about North Korea, you need to educate yourself on the issue and then approach the subject matter in a way that won't endanger lives. Not just be like, I'm just I'm a really self-entitled white girl. I'm going to go to North Korea and see what happens and write about it. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. And the same applies to um approaching a sexual minority you Mm -hmm. need to educate yourself on the issue and then write about it in a way that won't endanger people's lives and i do know for a fact that outing someone (laughs) that's never good yeah that can endanger lives livelihoods families all sorts of stuff absolutely livelihoods that, and that, families that, there could be fetishists someone... have lost child custody battles yeah. over this issue people have lost jobs it's legal to fire uh people for being kinky or, or members of fetish communities even it's not, not even... a protected category yeah even not kinky um poly people yes deal with that i i i, I talked to diana adams who i think the way i schedule this will be the episode two weeks before this when this comes out is uh, she just works with um, poly groups and poly advocacy and, and she's a lawyer. And so she works on that and people will lose custody. Yes. I don't know if uh, probably jobs in certain parts of the country. It's just all, 100%, it's all shit. Yes. Why do and we give a why, shit what people are doing? Why do we give a shit? But this is why it is irresponsible for uh, anyone to out a sexual minority non-consensually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is what this woman did. Yeah. You're you're big on defending the youngsters too, because I was reading today the one about you. They should lower the uh, voting age. That was another one. Where I was like, I don't know, Jillian. Yeah. I don't know. That's okay. Fifteen. That's okay. They care more about Snapchat than their grades. I don't know. 
Oh, I and, know plenty of adults who care right. more about I don't, Snapchat. Hey, hey than... I don't think all adults should get to vote either. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm with you. On, I'm, I'm like, let's not lower the voting age. I'm saying let's, let a, let's take away some rights to vote from some idiots. Well, that is a very common opinion. Yeah. That's why tomorrow's a terrifying day. <laughs> I'm. Uh, We're recording this the day before the election. <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic. You cautiously? You you don't think he can win, do you? You're, this isn't coming out until for for about a month and a half. So it's like I'm in. So when be, it comes out, we'll yes, know. it would be we'll quite know. interesting to know uh, what you were thinking the day before. Uh, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. <laughs> no matter what, it's going to be a historic day, and I'm really proud to live in a country where I have the right to vote. Because as I said, I'm a foreign correspondent and I work often in countries where people would die for the right to vote. Uh, So I um, would never miss the opportunity to exercise my right. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's rather trite, but that's how I feel. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling optimistic. Trump is four to one odds. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Vegas knows. They're not going to give that if he has a chance. My friend said that to me just the other day. They were deferring to the Vegas, the Vegas odds makers. That's how I live my life, which is, uh, which is why I'm fiscally irresponsible. Um, (laughs) I had a couple, uh, I had the, I think we got, oh, I had, I, oh, this, this thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, I had two things. I had, I had waitress circled. I had. Um, spanking implements you want to try that haven't, and the other was uh, figging and capacin cream. Those are the three things I had. You yeah. can we can go into we can just if you want to close on any of those or none of them or just some. Figging is great. Yes, please tell us more about figging. I'd never heard. I I assume very wrongly that I know all the words. I know I'm wrong. I like to think that I know them, and then constantly be proven how wrong i am so i'm reading your book and you talk about figging i'm like oh what's figging and then you describe it i'm like oh my god figging so please tell us and i don't say that in like a judgy whatever way it's in the way of like oh dear lord i had no idea that was a thing no not at all i invite these questions i also kind of went i kind of also went owie i I, like i felt like it wasn't happening to me but i did feel an owie um (laughs) figging is shall we say the act of peeling a finger of ginger into the shape of a butt plug Mm -hmm. and uh, sticking it where God and Julia child never advised. (laughs) And that is sticking it up your bum. Um, Apocryphally figging began life as a disciplinary tactic in uh, Victorian times to dissuade victims of spanking from clenching their butt cheeks during spankings. Because of course, if you clench your butt cheeks, then your sphincter, I believe it is, would tighten around the um, ginger root where the ginger oils heat up and burn. It's very painful. That's probably apocryphal. Um, The internet is not to be trusted on on these matters. Um, But I'm obsessed with Unless you wrote it, then we're trusting it. No, (laughs) Figging is fantastic. I have even persuaded some of my non-fetishist friends to try it um, and some of them have enjoyed it. Is there a way to like get rid of the burn immediately should it be not your thing no okay so like if you're going for well, it i suppose if you sort of jumped into a cold bath cold bath yeah okay i'm because i'm thinking i'm like i think it's worth a try i think you should try it billy oh i look i'm willing to try things i just want to know that there's like a there's an exit plan or i'm like is that like you're in it that's your thing that's going to be your next 20 minutes if you choose to try it uh, but Jillian, so thank you for for doing the show. Where can people find you? 
I'm on Twitter at Jillian Keenan at J-I-L-L-I-A-N-K-E-E-N-A-N. You know to spell it. I know how to spell my own mm-hmm. name. Sometimes. No, no, no. You know to like when plug oh. <laughs> when plugging, you'll hear people with the oddest names and then just they like, yeah, you'll figure it. it out. No, like tell me, help me out here. <laughs> um, I'm also online at a Jillian, J-I-L-L-I-A-N. NYC.com. Um, my email address is there. I'm very easy to find. I'm a friendly person. So if anyone wants to shoot me an email, uh, I'm sure I will respond. And the book is Sex with Shakespeare, which uh, I've said again many times, please buy it. It's it's really good. It's uh, My girlfriend texted me before I asked her, what do you want me to ask Jillian? She said, uh, I'm really tired right now. Just let her know she's amazing. And her book changed my life. That means a lot to me. uh, Again, you don't have to be in the Shakespeare. You don't have to be into kink yourself. Uh, You don't even have to like memoirs. I like none of those three things, and I love this book. Uh, So thank you again for coming on, finally. Uh, This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much, Billy. You know, one of the quotes that stood out to me uh, there was, Love is a process of falling in love over and over again. And I really think that's a beautiful sentiment. Should be on a pillow that costs too much money on Etsy, in my opinion. Oh, man. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that episode with Jillian Keenan. Do go check her out. Again, it's JillianNYC.com. And on Twitter, she's at Jillian Keenan. Uh, Tweet at her. Say hello. Tell, uh, Tell her what you thought about the episode. Include me in there at the Billy Presida and use the hashtag Man Whore Podcast. I love hearing from you, whether it's emails and tweets or whatever. You know, uh, you know, got this one fun tweet at cpoly69 tweets uh, at me and Diana Adams. So I just started listening to your podcast and I cannot wait to get to this poly one. Well, I uh, can't wait for her to discover that there are a ton of Polly episodes, amongst other things. Uh, thanks for saying hey. Thanks for the shout out. Uh, if you don't have Twitter, do make sure you like the Man Whore Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to say hey to me uh, privately, you can shoot me an email with your comments, your questions, or your boobies to manwhorepod at gmail.com. Join the conversation with your fellow fan whores on the Man Whore Podcast subreddit. There are individual comment threads for every episode. I also like to post uh, announcements, conversation topics, pictures, uh, things you may not see in other places over there. You can also start a discussion there yourself. Again, that's r slash podcast. As always, it's, uh, it's, it's good hanging out with you every Wednesday or, you know, whichever day of the week you happen to be binge listening to this. Uh, I enjoy you all so much. Go buy the book. Sex with Shakespeare. Buy it, read it, love it, and stay slutty. <laughs>